Hey ladies, welcome to WTF, Women Talking Frankly, a running conversation with your hosts, Kyle and Candace. And you, about issues facing women, such as health, hormones, our looks, our libido, life, and anything in between. We promise to dig deep and get into it each episode. Welcome. We're so glad you joined us today. Hi there, ladies. This is WTF, Women Talking Frankly, and we are in the studio in Oregon where a million acres are burning brightly, the orange apocalyptic glow in the background, and we've decided to persevere and come in anyway and Hell talk yeah. about, right, Kyle? Hell yeah. We've got a super duper rock star guest today, Dr. Allison McAllister, who Kyle and I have known for a long time. You know what? It's been like 20 years. And Allison, Allison, I might say, we call her the rock star. Yes. Allison is a naturopathic physician who is one of the leading lights of naturopathic physician work in Portland, Oregon, I would say. She's mm-hmm. been around forever. Everyone knows her. She has her own practice. I'll talk more about her. But wanted to say we have her uh, as a guest because she's a real expert on thyroid issues. And um, has helped so many people with thyroid issues. And I, I think it's so interesting for our listeners. So many of us are women in menopause, in perimenopause. And isn't it interesting that thyroid diseases, in a recent study I just was looking at, and if there's any correction here, Allison, correct me. But thyroid diseases predominantly affect more women than men. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they, they say estimates range from the incidence being five to 20 times higher in women than in men. That's amazing. Um, Additionally, the prevalence of most thyroid diseases increases with age, so consequently thyroid gland autoimmunity, hypothyroidism, nodular goiter, and cancer occur most often in postmenopausal and elderly women. And I remember Dr. John Lee, who wrote the book What Your Doctor May Not Tell You About Menopause and wrote with uh, Dr. Zava the book on breast cancer, noting in his practice how many women started to have thyroid problems in perimenopause Mm -hmm. when their hormones started to fluctuate. So we're going to talk about that and all the um, aspects as much as we can. There's so much to say. But first, I wanted to introduce formally Allison. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're very (laughs) welcome. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about Dr. Allison McAllister being passionate about medical education. Yeah. Yes. She has taught so many, trained so many, I'd say probably thousands of doctors, um, especially those moving into functional medicine where we're looking for the root cause and not just reaching for the prescription pad and the Band-Aid. And she's, so she enjoys that, teaching colleagues and patients. She is a clinical consultant at ZRT Laboratory, a leading clinical, she's the leading clinical consultant, runs her team of naturopaths who we couldn't do without, who help all the doctors who are trying to transit into bioidentical hormone therapy, understand testing, et cetera. She, you've been there over, well over 10 years now. I think it's it's got to be almost eighteen years. Yeah, That's what I think because nine eleven is I've been today. Calling you that long? Nine eleven was nineteen years ago yes, today. I know. And you were I started right about then, and you were there soon after. I just say my youth. I've just been there since my youth. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> since right. her youth. So Allison somehow just she she has a busy practice too. You just came from seeing patients today, I, I believe. Um, she has spoken to medical groups both locally as well as nationally graduated from Smith College, I didn't know that, in Northampton, Massachusetts, and received her naturopathic medical doctorate in 1999 at the NCNM here in Portland National College of Naturopathic Medicine. Uh, And in addition to her doctorate, Dr. McAllister did, or Allison, Mm -hmm. did advanced coursework and practicum in naturopathy midwifery, delivering babies at home. And I do remember the story that day you came in and said you had delivered a baby in a car. That was my niece. Your niece. Yes. She's 11 now. She came back to work one day and had just delivered a baby. That's the sweetest story. (laughs) Um, And also another very notable thing about you is that you did your residency in integrated cancer care. I did. At Cancer Treatment Centers of America. I was one of their very first residents. Were you really? Yeah, the very first resident in their Oklahoma office. Wow. That's awesome. So um, 
that's probably a significant um, influence on you becoming interested in the effect of hormones on the development of breast cancer. For sure. I would think. So at ZRT, she's taught thousands of doctors, as I said, how to use bioidentical hormone therapy, including many that are teaching now nationally. Her clinic practice focuses on hormone imbalance, fertility, integrative cancer care, thyroid, PCOS, the whole gamut. And um, on a nice summer day, and that would be today, late summers in September is Usually. still summer in Usually Portland. gorgeous, yeah. Um, she could be found playing with her little girl, Anne, who's got the most beautiful blue eyes in the world, digging in her garden, which is yielding great tomatoes, it looks like, or renovating her house with the help of her dog, Tucker. Yeah. So... There we are, and thank you for being here, Allison, and let's take it away. Yes, and Allison, I want to talk about you a little bit, too. I'm blushing here on the other uh, side. Well, you should be, because, you know, I always... had this like little thing at my desk. I had my little hotline to either the pharmacy or to the ZRT lab, and you were always my first person I wanted to go to. Mm-hmm. Allison has been, you know, this amazing... When, when you start doing, when I started doing um, bioidentical hormones, I was just winging it. There was nobody out there really training me to do it. I had to go to conferences, you know, compounding, comp, compounding uh, Pharmacy America comp, uh, conferences, and then ZRT had conferences too. And then I would just call and say, "How how the heck do I interpret these labs?" And Allison was the one who really helped, you know, guide me and steer me in the right direction. And especially as I delved into the thyroid issue, thyroid issue is complicated. People tend to overlook it all the time. People say, "Oh, your labs are fine. Your labs are fine. You're fine." Well, you're not fine. And that's what we're about to talk to about today. And how so many women walk around, and men, but like we said, more women than men walk around with symptoms of a low thyroid are told that they're normal. So we're going to... we're gonna And just think that's the, who they are. Yeah, we're going to stand that on yeah. the, its head today and talk about how we can really look at women and, and, and make them feel better. That's what we're all about. So I want to know, Allison, yeah. first of all, when it comes to a choice of being a regular allopathic doctor, Western medicine doctor, as yeah. opposed to naturopathy, because I know you became a naturopath at a time when it was still an emerging field, still sort of mm. poo-pooed. I mean, when I first became a nurse back in the 80s, naturopathy and chiropractic were considered sort of voodoo, you know, woo-woo, whatever you want to call it. But it's really emerged, I think, in the field, and it's very well respected now by most people, especially on the West Coast. East Coast is still a little bit, that's where I come from, we're all from, oh, you and I are both from the East Coast, um, a little bit more snooty about that, saying not so much. But how do you choose between those two modalities? And, and what do you think is, is happening in the world? Why are people respecting that more? I think that's a good question. So I went to Smith. Um, I was a biology and fine arts major, double Ooh, major. So That's an amazing combination. It tells you a little something about my brain, I yeah. feel like. Um, and I actually had a classmate who was planning to be a naturopathic physician at the time. We take botany and we go on these courses. She's, you know, She said, oh, I'm going to be a naturopath. And I was like, oh, that's, that's just weird. Because I did not grow up with this. I mean, I really did not grow up using herbs, vitamins, minerals. I mean, we ate well, but I grew up in upstate New York and, mm-hmm. you know, we had healthy granola cereal and things like that. But And takeaway ribs on Friday night. And takeaway ribs and <laughs> buffalo wings. And, and you know, but like we were not doing herbs. My mother was not wild harvesting with four children dripping from every <laughs> limb. Like, no. Um, so I did not grow up in this world at all. I didn't know it at all. And, um, and my whole life... Um, my grandmother and my mother's and my mother's a nurse. My grandmother was one of the um, Canada's first, like in the first group of physio physical therapists. She wanted to be a doctor. Really, she's a very interesting lady. Um, and so I was always told my whole life, you should be a doctor. And mm-hmm. I said, well, I don't know what I'm going to be, but I know one thing I'm not going to be, and I'm not going to be a doctor because I don't want to stay up all night. And I don't want to give shots because I don't like shots. And <laughs> you know, I'm going to kill someone if I do that. So you know. And those Irony's are the days there. when doctors called on people's in to people's homes. When you say stay up all night, no, just, just residency. On, just That's like on, normal oh, residency. Right. Being on yeah. call for thirty six. I'm like, I'm going to kill someone. Straight. I have no desire to do that. <laughs> yeah. So that was the thing I wasn't going to be. So I graduated from Smith. In the meantime, my family had all sort of migrated over to the West Coast. So as a every new graduate, I left school having no idea what I wanted to do um, and moved home and lived in my mother's basement. Um, And I was going to be a city planner. 
That's what I decided wow. I was going to be a city planner. With a biology say, and Portland PSU has a great program for city planning. Uh, my dad's an engineer. I was like, this is, I get this world. Didn't he build the road to Glenwood Springs he did. or something <laughs> he like did the that? the canyon. That's yeah, so he, designed the, he designed the station at the zoo here in Portland. Um, so I was like, okay, that's why I'm going to be a city planner. So I was actually researching, um, because once again, the one thing I'm not going to be is a doctor. That's... That's just And here you are, Dr. Allison. Yeah, exactly. So I went and I was researching in the public library. My story is not a fancy one. I wish I could tell you. Like lots of people come to this with like some major health thing that brings – no, no. I went to the public library in downtown Portland and I was researching what schools do I go to and what's the future path of, you know, city planning so I can be – a good city planner, you know, and make sure I'm getting into the right courses kind of thing. And um, I found this book and I don't even know what book it was. And they talked about how there's these schools that teach conventional medicine with herbs and vitamins. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. (laughs) And one happened to be here in Portland, Oregon. I said, oh, that's really interesting. How old were you then? 22. Yeah. And meanwhile, I'm temping jobs and stuff. And so I went ahead and I contacted the school and they sent me their catalog and I read it and I said, I've believed this my whole life and this is what I'm going to do. Oh my goodness. And uh, I know that's one catalog, right? (laughs) Uh, So I then reached out to the school and at that time I was able to volunteer in the medicinary and after a week I was sold and so I was making tinctures and teas there and um, she has I just the best became... cough, uh, cough buster (laughs) ever. I was sold on that and went ahead and did the few prereqs I needed and end up in school. And I was sitting there working in the medicinary one day before school started. And who came in to the main entry? But my classmate from Smith, so, who was in oh the no. same class as That's I was. That's so, What a great story. Yeah. What did so fa- so what did your family think? They all thought, oh, Alison wants I think to- they were so happy that I had some direction. Because okay. I think it's a really hard time after you graduate from mm-hmm. school. And I was very lost as to what to do. Sure. So once I had this direction, my parents could have cared less what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, but... But if this tells you, like, they had no idea. My mother's a nurse, so she was like, oh, that sounds great. And yeah. she's sort of, I mean, this has been sort of our philosophy our whole lives anyway. So it's it was very good fitting for the philosophy. I, I do remember giving my dad a physical in, in like, the, my second year when you're learning how to use all your equipment. Mm-hmm. And I was feeling all proud and doctory. And he's like, wow, it's like you know what you're doing. And I was like, you do know what, I, <laughs> what I'm doing, right? <laughs> so... Oh, so, dear dad. Yeah, you know, that's just sort of the the way it goes. But um, it was not popular no. when I went uh, no. to school. And I would still tell you I still fight discussions. And it, and it wasn't covered by insurance back then, I don't think. It was not covered by insurance. That was a big deal. It was deal. not well respected. No. I would put tre- people on treatment plans. They would then, I would refer them appropriately and... Uh, physicians would spend half of their doctor's visit telling them how I was just trying to scam them from their money. Uh. I wish I could tell you that's totally different. I have to tell you, it still happens. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's really frustrating. Yeah. You know? Um, So do you... Come back at people with some kind of studies. You give patients studies that you're based on your, you know, your knowledge base and why you're giving things. Yeah, sometimes to them. I'll bring, I'll pull studies and things like that. I mean, I, I guess I've gotten a little hardened over the years. I know, I know. You know, I've been in practice now for 20 years, and at a certain point, it's like, you know, people say, "Well, my doctor wants this," and I'll be like, "Well, you can use the same reference as I do." I go to PubMed. You know, people say, well, you use different doctor's books. And I'm like, no. My doctor's books are the same endocrinology books. They're the same mm-hmm. PubMed books. I go to research. I constantly am re- researching online. It's there if you look for it. Yes, it is. Um, but you have to look for it. And and that's a lot of people don't have time. and they Their world is small. And that's okay. We need, yeah. we need people to have small worlds too. So, you know, I think it's slowly opening up. And definitely there's... Physicians spending thousands of dollars going to courses to try to, you know, when I go to these classes, they're always saying, I should have been a naturopath. Like I know. I would have, and what the they want is the mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that happened to me too. I yeah. mean, I did a complete 180. You, you know, consider I, the average doctor gets what, like one class or an electorate in nutrition and I know it's terrible. If, if that. If, if, if that. that. Yeah. And how many states now have legal, uh, is it legal to be an ND and prescribe? 
18 or something? states, but not all have the same prescribing. Oregon and Washington, Mm -hmm. we have full prescribing rights. So there's a few Is it only Oregon and Washington? Uh, No, there's others that have, but Oregon, Washington, and Arizona have the broadest um, prescribing rights. I think that's why we're seeing the big differences in parts of the country. Like I lived in Texas and I lived in Oklahoma, as did you. And it was definitely, you know, looked at. They're not licensed still there. And And that just means when you're in a state that's unlicensed, you may have people like me who went to, you know, four years of undergraduate school and four years of naturopathic school. And we've done our biology, all the ologies, you know, (laughs) gynecology and, you know, gastroenterology. Um, And then we've done these herbs and vitamins. And then if you're in a state that's not licensed, you may have people who train like me. And then you're going to have people who will say they have the same degree who may have a mail order degree. Mm. Um, Because when it's not regulated, it means it's not regulated. And that means basically anyone can say they have it. And they may have certain skills. They may have lots of skills. They may have lots of training, but they're not, they haven't had the same training. So how does a person who has never seen a provider before feel confident that they are well-trained? Yeah, I think that's a good question. If if people go, if they want someone who has the same training as I do, um, they can go to naturopathic.org and find out who's on their uh, who is trained mm-hmm. uh, or what schools they went to. And then they just simply ask the schools. I mean, there's only five schools in the country. Are they um, really? And, yeah, and two of the best are in and, Seattle and Portland. Yeah, yeah the two oldest and... are in, in Bastyr. One mm-hmm. in, in uh, Connecticut is actually going to close their program. So oh, that's no. sad. So then there'll be four in North America. I have no five idea. In North America. I think, very few. I yeah. think we should mention, though, that the training that you get is the same as a medical doctor. You, you I mean, well, pretty close. Yes and no. I mean, we're trained in... in plus. We're with trained the great plus. in office medicine, primary practice. That is our training. We are not trained in hospitals. Do not come to me with your bullet wounds, yeah. your head wounds. Like, that's where hospitals do. Yeah. But we train as primary care. So, you know, people always want to know what doctory stuff we can do. We can do shots. I can do minor surgery if I needed to. I can do pap smears and mm-hmm. all those kind mm-hmm. of things. So everything you would go to a primary care for. Um, but, you know, mm-hmm. emergency room stuff. We yeah. know well enough to refer to, to refer, which I is what you know every you, you primary know care you, does. You know your limits. Yes, you know that the the, um, the term complementary medicine yeah has an important impact in terms of or or perspective with NDs. I always think of the naturopath being a doctor who knows just about all there is to know about family medicine, plus adds in the complement of all the natural sort of remedies that we can use to feel better. Plus looking at physiology, you know, trying to apply the treatment that way, you know, to sort of match physiology or mimic mother nature and get get us feeling well before we go to the heavy duty big gun prescription things. Yeah. Is that, does that sound right? I think, yeah, I mean, I think that the terms integrative, complementary, now functional medicine, they all had their heyday and everyone sort of gets excited by the new and shiny terms. Mm -hmm. Um, But the way I look at it is naturopathic medicine is really about treating the cause. It's about educating Mm -hmm. the patient into what their body is supposed to be doing, understanding the biophysiology of the body, which is actually huge. I would say we have really good skills in understanding the natural biochemistry of what the body is supposed to be. And then our toolboxes are big. So if we think of our whatever medicine we can use to treat people as a toolbox, you know, we have our conventional toolbox because I can write antibiotics. Sure. I do. I can write thyroid. I can do these things. But I can also use my vitamins and minerals, my herbs. And so naturopathic physicians will tend to specialize by other what tools they use. Like some will use no conventional medicine at all. They may just use homeopathy or they might just use vitamins or minerals or the type of patients that they see. So that's kind of our specialty. So I think so. of it. I think of it more as a, you are supporting the person underneath the cause, and then that it's going to help them. The cause get you know our job. My to me, it's all about identifying the cause of the problem, right? And then what tools we use is actually immaterial, um, because the goal is to always do it. And the thing is, is that when we use our conventional toolbox, that's fine. But a lot of times when we use that toolbox, it's just step one right. in a longer process of right. returning that person to health. And sometimes that's where we stop because that's we're, we're you know we're talking about thyroid for instance, and we might talk about thyroid hormones. Sometimes 
for some people, that's kind of where we stop. And other times it, there's, you know, more that you kind of work with someone on. So. so speaking of like thyroid and hormones, how did you get so passionate about hormones? And Candace <laughs> and I have talked about our stories, right. but how did you, now you talked about how you sort of randomly fell into being a naturopath, but I then know. you found your, you found your, your niche. Well, did, why hormones? You know, you go through naturopathic medical school, just like every medical school, you do all the ologies. I decided to do midwifery. So I deliver babies and, um, that was really great training. So I discovered, guess what? You can be up all night and be fine. I turned <laughs> out, I was actually fine at being up all night. Um, and shots <laughs> don't hurt me if I'm giving them to you. So I was actually okay with right. drawing blood and things like that. So, um, that was kind of funny, but, um, <laughs> I'd say, so I come from a long line of thyroid patients myself and my every, almost every woman in my family up four generations are thyroid patients. So, um, wow. I, but at the time in medical school, I was not. Um, <laughs> and but really where I got passionate about hormones and passionate about thyroid was when I worked at an integrative cancer hospital. And I would see all these patients, they come from all over the country, devastating cancers, and they'd be doing chemotherapy and radiation. And my job was to support them through it. And then I would see them at the end before they came home and we put them on maintenance plans and things like that. And I loved my job. And, but I often had patients who'd say, this is it. Like, oh, yay, I'm cured. I feel terrible. Oh, wow, of course. Because, you know, you've had breast cancer and you block all the estrogen. And it's mm -hmm. like, oh, my goodness, this is my quality of life here. Mm -hmm. And I saw thousands of prostate cancer patients. We were a prostate cancer um, center doing quite a lot. And, you know, these, these poor gentlemen would be like, this is it? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know, Allison. I don't know if it's or they worth come it. in, Why yeah, the, or yeah. you know, lymphomas, and they're like, like this. this is my, this oh, is, you know, I'm so cured. Sad. Oh, I feel so terrible. And so, you know, I really began to become even more aware of what what happens when you take a man and you take away all of his testosterone. Wow. You know, and what what other things besides like, okay, yeah, his prostate cancer isn't growing. That's a good thing. I've seen people people die of it. You know. But what's that quality of life do? This is and, when the cure is worse than the disease. And what happens yeah. to your brain? And what happens to your yeah. skin? And, you know, all these all these things. So I got really passionate in that. We found tons of people with thyroid. Chemotherapy often um, hits the mm -hmm. thyroid. So I just kind of fell into it a little bit because I was trying to help patch people together mm -hmm. so they'd have better quality of life. And a lot of patients who have cancer, you know, they're tired and people are like, oh, you know, just like after deliveries, same thing. It's another common time that people become hypothyroid. And, yes. And right. you'd say, to, they'd be like, well, I'm exhausted. And everyone go, well, you just had cancer. Oh, you just had a baby. Just, yeah. And then you do their TSH and their TSH is like 15. And it's like, well, or you're you're actually hypothyroid. Right, you right. Know? So I, I just kind of um, just got it started getting really passionate about it just because I saw so many wonderful patients and it you know it's the self fulfilling you know when you get see someone and you help them get better yes. it makes you feel good sure. and you, you want, want to do it again stay better. you yeah. want them to stay better I, I want to know? read something from this study that from menopause review uh, that said uh, although 2017 study although thyroid status has a well known impact on cardiovascular risk cognitive function disability and longevity there is no consensus on universal screening for thyroid dysfunction of postmenopausal and elderly women among medical associations worldwide. Yeah. Do you have a comment on that? I mean, yeah. Well, I think it's kind of silly. Just... I mean, I think frankly, a lot of the studies with thyroid leave out one really <clears throat> important thing: how does the patient feel? Like right. most of the studies, when you read them, are all about making the labs look good. Mm -hmm. And even then, they don't even often make the labs look good. They make them fall into the normal range. And we can certainly talk about range studies. I think as long as I've known you guys, there's been studies oh, and God. arguments about oh, what the God. ranges of thyroid should be. That but, you wide. know, most of the studies, most of the studies never ask the patients, well, Candace, how do you feel? Right. <laughs> because if they started asking those questions, they'd find that patients actually do feel really a lot better 
at certain ranges, but they just never do that. There's been very few studies that have actually asked that question. When I was in nursing school back in the 80s, I remember the TSH, which stands for thyroid stimulating hormone, by the way. It's a, it's a It's the classic test that all providers basically use to, to establish thyroid condition. It was up at nine. You had to be above a nine. Oh, yeah. And then soon... They it, still make yeah. that argument. Oh, yeah. And we now should explain down, what we're measuring okay. when we're, we're measuring, looking at it. And we're going to talk about thyroid. But now it's down to like 4.5 and labs range. And so it's so controversial. And I'm so happy that, you know, you and I yeah. think alike on this. All three of us do. But can we start with first, let's just yeah. go through a basic understanding of thyroid. We talk sure. about thyroid. I think people don't even know where it lives in the body. Right. What, what its functions are, and how do we how does it impact the, the rest of the body? Because you, yeah. you're a thyroid expert. Let's go. All right. Master. So the thyroid is a butterfly-shaped gland that lives in your throat. And it's a butterfly shape, which is why the symbol for every thyroid association is a butterfly. It took me so long to put that together. <laughs> I won't even tell you. But that's why. So it lives in your throat. And when you are developing in utero, so you are in your mother's belly, it actually starts on the back of your tongue and it migrates down into your neck and ends up there, which cool. I just think is really cool. That's Who very cool. knew? Kind of goofy. Does it, it flutter? It doesn't flutter, I don't think. <laughs> so it's living in your neck and it's talking to your brain. So your brain has a really important gland called the pituitary. It's mm-hmm. very fragile. We think of it as an organ, but it's actually just a ball of blood vessels. It's kind of fragile. So this little ball of blood vessels is making this hormone called thyroid-stimulating hormone. And I say thank goodness because so many hormones are named things that don't translate into anything mm-hmm. that you would know. So it is literally mm-hmm. its job is to stimulate the thyroid gland to produce thyroid hormone. So... The gland in your neck produces two hormones. It produces one called T4 and another one called T3. And their job is to go out to every cell in the body where T3 can work immediately. So you have a little tiny bit of that. But thyroid's really potent. So you don't want most of it to work. So you kind of have to bind it up. You basically give it a binding protein, sort of like a chaperone. I like that analogy. That's yeah. a good way to put it, binding. Pro- yeah. And this T4 is kind of, it's a precursor hormone, which means that this T4 has got a little chaperone and it goes around and it goes to your big toe. And then the chaperone lets go of it and lets this T4 go into that cell. And then that T4 gets converted when the body needs it into T3. We hope it gets converted. Yeah. And then meanwhile, the amount of T4 that's going around the body, some of that is going back to the brain and the little pituitary is letting that T4 convert into T3 within the brain. And if it's good, then it says, okay, we've got enough. We don't need to keep putting out so much thyroid. So analogy I use for business workers, because I get this, is the brain is the boss and the thyroid gland is the worker and the hormone is the, you know, the product, the widget, so to speak. So if I'm the boss, I'm going to send a note to the worker. I send emails. That email is going to be the TSH. And I say, "Um, could you please do this? And if you're a good worker, Mm -hmm. you produce the little widget, and then the boss is happy, and that's the end of it. But if you're bad, then you just start getting angry emails. So in other words, those email numbers go up, that TSH goes up. And get louder. Because the widgets... They're not aren't make, coming out not the way they're supposed to. Yeah. Or they are. They're coming out, but it's taking a lot of work. I'm having to email you every single day just to get that <laughs> normal amount out there. Um, and so unhappy brain, unhappy boss, lots of TSH, very little widgets, very little t And we call this a positive feedback loop. And that's a positive feedback loop. Right. Mm-hmm. Or negative feedback. Negative. Neg- this is neg- a negative feedback neg- loop. The only positive one is the FSH. FSH, yeah, right, exactly. Right. So negative this is feedback. negative feedback loop. So the better mm-hmm. you are doing something, the happier your boss is, and he yeah. won't be bugging you, the TSH doesn't climb. It doesn't climb and up. So that's why yeah. everybody's looking at the TSH. Yeah. But it's not enough. It's not telling us the whole story. It's not telling right? us the whole. It's telling us a it's portion not, of the story. It's a big part. I think there's a lot of specialists who say the TSH is everything. Well, it's not. Right. And then there's other people who say the TSH is ridiculous and no. it's bad. It's something. It's part. Well, that's not it's true. part of the picture. It's mm-hmm. part of the picture. The ranges are slowly coming down mm-hmm. into a better. Not quite so wide. But the most important thing is to know, like, well, where is that? If you know where you should be, then you can use the TSH as an appropriate gauge. So in other words, TSH is usually geared on a range of 0.3 
to 4.5. That's like Quest, Lab Cores, all the big labs. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they go to 4.5. They used to go to 10. Right. There's still people who say, well, I'm not going to do anything until Which my patient is crazy. 10. Mm-hmm. So when, that's, one, that's one unhappy boss, right? Yeah. <laughs> so they still say four. Now, in different specialties that often don't talk to each other, they'll say, no, no. In like infertility world, we say 2.5 mm-hmm. is the range. And the reason is, is that if you look at physiology of like, where is a healthy people? Like, this is the question to ask, right? If you have no thyroid problem, where is your TSH? Exactly. Well, they've done that and they've gone around the world and tested tens of thousands of people. And most people's TSHs are between one to 1.5. So if you're at two, you're already sort of starting on the other side. And you're Mm -hmm. okay. If you're at 2.5, well, now you're starting to get into a group where if you screen all the people for symptoms and you screen all the people for antibodies and you screen all the people, like you're starting to get a much smaller number. And when you start crossing 2.5, we now in the infertility world start seeing more problems with miscarriages, more problems with not ovulating. So that's why they cut it off at Mm 2.5. A lot of people go between 2.5 as 3 is this gray zone because of lab variations and Mm -hmm. things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But really no one after 3 in a healthy population who is now thyroid, like no one's over 3. So there's Mm. been huge arguments for the last 17 of like, well, why are we not bringing this range down? Right. I asked Quest, they told me that they're not going to do it until everyone agrees. So, <laughs> well, look what happened with the th- with uh, basic, um, our basic um, temperature now. It finally came down. Have you noticed, heard yeah. about that? 98.6 for years and years. Yeah. Now it's like 97 for something. I've been 97 for years, and I always thought, but I'm alive, I'm healthy. I'm, you know, I think about thyroid as being the same way. Maybe the range needs to be narrow because people like you might be a one, you might be a two and I might be a 2.5, which is normal for us, but we don't know what's normal for you. Well, and people think that this has been around forever. So I'm a line of four generations of thyroid patients, Right. right? My grandmother started at 13 on thyroid. There was no thyroid test. She just was given it. They used to oh, test. Yes. They used to test based on if you had just symptoms, they'd put you on it. Sure. Or if your cholesterol was high, cholesterol used to be the marker of thyroid. And so if your cholesterol yeah. was high, they used to put it on. But the TSH test isn't that old. I mean, it's probably only about seventy years old. That's amazing. So you know, the thing is too is in laboratory science, the longer you do something, the better you get at it. Mm-hmm. So that's what's happened with TSHs. The lab. If the laboratorians, I've been to so many conferences for lab people where the laboratorian people, they're talking about it shouldn't be this broad. It was this range because when you have a range, you have it because either there's a broad spectrum of normal within the population or you have a range that's so broad because your lab can't really tell the difference between a one and a four, mm-hmm. right? If you take in lab work, if you take a sample and you run it a hundred times, there's going to be some lab tests where you could have that degree of variation and you know that's normal it's just the variation of the antibody of the test and and that that happens so you have to have a range that allows for that you can't tell people they're high or low if they're varying within that sure so what's happened is the labs have gotten better and so that's why the laboratorian people are like no no it should be way lower we're better at this now it's just taking a long time for that to happen in clinical Would so you want to diagnose a thyroid issue if you only had a TSH test? No. I you, want to have a history. I would, I would have a history. Would you? I, I'd want yeah. to delve in deeper. I, I absolutely I, I have. It can, well, if it's high enough, yes. If it's high enough, but yeah. It, I would agree with you. Yeah. If it's but over if it's, three, but if it's, it's 2.5 or three, 3 and lower, I want more information. Yeah. I want mm-hmm. symptoms. I want yes. other labs. Mm-hmm. But yeah. let's talk. So let, we're, we're trying to, I feel like we jumped into labs. Oh, I'm so let, sorry. No, no, no. But I think, what does <laughs> no, the, thyro- well, the thyroid yeah. do? Well, so we're talking what, about yeah, how So let's talk about what thyroid does. Yeah. Okay. So, sorry, thanks for keeping us on track. That's right. We'll get back to the I can chat with these ladies for days. I know, it's So, thyroid, the job of the thyroid, it goes into all these cells, right? It's gotten into there. It's doing T3. Its job is to make proteins. It controls 50% of your metabolic rate, okay? So, its job is to control the speed of that cell. It controls energy coming in. It's making energy, energy coming out. It's detoxing. So, it's... Think of it as like the little engine, okay? It's controlling the engines within the cell. So what happens if it slows down? 
everything slows down. Mm -hmm. If it gets too fast, everything goes too fast. So what kinds of things does it do? Well, it's controlling detoxing. So it's controlling how fast your liver's working. It's controlling how fast your bowels are moving. It's controlling how fast your brain is processing things. Mm -hmm. It's controlling how fast you're detoxing, even within the cells. So, you know, we don't think of our cells as you know, we, they just are, right? right? But if they're not working very well, they can get puffy and swollen, okay? You can have fluid accumulation in there. Um, and, of course, how f- well we're digesting, our blood sugar control, our nerve impulses, there really isn't anything that thyroid doesn't touch. So to me, it's one of the top-tier hormones. What about temperature regulation? Absolutely. 50%. So it's controlling the speed of your whole metabolic rate. And the rate at which we burn calories. The rate of which we burn calories, the rate of which everything works in the body. So Mm. my question then is, if it's only controlling 50%, what's the other 50% being controlled Well, we still do have like our influences of like what we exercise and how we eat and like we are mitochondria and those kinds of things. But it's pretty big. You yeah, know, no, and it's, it's working very synergistically with the other hormones as well. So when you, so, so when you talk about um, somebody comes in to see you, what are the symptoms that you're looking for to make you think that there might be an issue with the thyroid? Yeah. So let's talk about what happens when it slows down, because okay. I think that will be the best way. So That's here the you are, people with coming in with right? symptoms of a slowing thyroid, slowing more often thyroid, than the right? Other. So if it's keeping the speed up and all of a sudden it slows down, That's when you really start right? Thinking. What do you see? Well, if we know what it does, now all of a sudden we're not turning things over the same way. We're not absorbing the calories and the nutrients the same way. So now all of a sudden we've got dry skin. Mm-hmm. We may have puffiness in our skin, a deposition of something called hyaluronic acid, which can make people feel very puffy. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not necessarily detoxing the same way. So people can have a lot of arthritic or very stiff ligaments, stiff muscles, mm. stiff uh, wrists and stiff ankles is really common. Our mm. digestive system slows down. So we're backed up constipation periods like your body doesn't necessarily want to have a baby if you feel like this so Mm -hmm. people can stop ovulating stress response not have right not have periods or they're they don't metabolize their estrogen the same way so they can have a tendency to have really heavy periods Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. because they're not producing estrogen and progesterone the right way Mm -hmm. um you know you blood then you start getting interactions with blood sugar and things like that as well. So foggy thinking, mm-hmm. um, cardiovascularly, it actually is associated with um, sometimes with um, hypotension. So your blood pressure can mm-hmm. drop, um, but Lower heart if rate, it's maybe. longer, you can actually have congestive heart failure. Wow. I actually saw someone who had been probably hypothyroid for like 30 years. She was scared of doctors. And oh, my God. Yeah. So like everything kind of slows down. And I think and of fatigue. Fatigue, depression. Weight gain. Apathy. Weight no gain. libido. Low libido. Yeah. yeah. These are really common. Depression, but it's more like apathy. Yeah. And really, it's extreme fatigue. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, it's just like I'm so tired. I can't even get off this you know, off this chair to go and do something, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. especially not, not exercise. No. Yeah. And anytime people exercise, they are so tired. They're, yeah. it's almost not worth it. They'll exercise for an hour. Now, sometimes that makes mm. them feel great. Sometimes they'll exercise and that warms them up. And so they'll actually feel great. And other times it just sacks them out and they're sound asleep for the two warm hours. The warm-up you just mentioned makes me think numero uno symptom also is feeling cold all the time. Cold all yeah. the time. Cold hands and feet. That's right. Yeah. And, and how many why... young women are always freezing? Well, I always a lot of them that. are freezing because they're anemic. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. if you're anemic just... or your blood, you oh, know, don't have enough body I, fat. I, one of the but... things I hear is that um, they're tired, but they want to work out. And then when they do work out, they feel worse. They feel worse. They just worse, feel yeah. exhausted. Yeah. Um, and the other one, my just thinking of another one people say all the time, tired, depressed, not motivated. No uh, motivation. And yeah. just... Uh, well, the, gaining and, weight. And That's the depression is often, like you were saying, um, they're not people who are usually depressed. It's a, it's a new, it's a kind of a it's new a thing. It's a flat 
Yeah, it's, it's a, a flattening flat mm-hmm. of their affect. So, you know, when you interact um, with someone, they just are really oftentimes just feel really blah. And also, I think nails. Nails. nails the classic don't, is oh, nails, yeah. nails that, that peel. Break, they peel. They don't grow. And the hair. Hair yeah. falling out. Yeah. So not like, you know, male pattern bald. It's more of like a global, global hair. Back so, to that feeling flat. I think that's one of the worst problems with thyroid is that people say to them, you know, they say, I'm not really depressed. No. You know, my life is good. Yeah. yeah. I'm happy with my life. I'm yeah. happy with my kids. I've got a loving family. But I just fa- can't. But I'm, what's going on? Yeah. You know? There's and almost so, like a lack of joy kind of thing. And really yeah. what it is, is in my experience, is they're just so darn tired. But yes. see, this is the difference between women and men. And I love this because I love treating men. I know. And the thing is, if a man felt this way, they come in and they're like, I feel like crap. Yeah. Ah, you know, this is how I feel and I feel terrible. Will you fix me? And then we find it. Now, guys are cheated because they often don't get their thyroid diagnosed. Uh, because they have testosterone, it makes them feel warmer. So, and ah. they don't gain weight because of the testosterone. So, sure. got, they often aren't even tested. Mm. So, and they present I, differently. Yeah, they present differently. So they they tend to depress, you know, get the constipation and the libido issues and the depression. Um, but people don't always think about thyroid for them because one, it doesn't hit as many men, um, but two, because they they don't gain weight the same way mm-hmm. um, and they don't have those sort of classic things. But um, as with women, though, is it women. more pre- prevalent in? Andropause, middle middle age for men. Does it seem to come on more than always? Yeah, yeah. The older we get, the more prone we mm-hmm. are to as hormones but shift. But they don't have the big shifts. Men don't have the big shifts like women do with menopause. They still have. They, they don't have, have a shift though, so it not, may like, be not like women relevant. With the menopause, like the absolute yeah, cessation. It's more like the so slow acute. slide with they men. Have the, yeah, it's yeah, exactly. They're running out of but gas, and we're kind of crashing. I think what you were going to say is that women come in and they've been pushing through for so long. They push through. They just they take it on themselves. Exactly. I'm lazy. Exactly. I can't get it together. Exactly. And you're like, what are you talking about? Your TSH is 15. Like, and they're walking around you've been going, dragging. They're depressed. They There's a reason. They, they put, well, women in general, we're going to generalize, but yep. the women we've known yep. push through. And they just think, I've got to power through all these things in life. Head to the, until they down, can't. We're get notorious for that. And then they can't, they we just do that. They can't and do it. And that's when they hit the wall, they yep. come see us, and they're like, so excited to find that there's something wrong. Yeah. This is where the whole thing about... There's so many <laughs> wonderful stories about patients who have wanted to do something and just couldn't. Right. And I, I'm, of course, thinking of two, but like, you know, I had one woman and, you know, she really wanted to change her life. She really wanted to move and she just couldn't. And yeah. um, gosh, I mean, she, we got her started on thyroid um, after trying a few other things for her, but it changed her life. She moved. She totally up and moved well, and the got lights a new went job. On. The li- there's like the she house. could do it. Yeah, the house. Light and bulb went so on. she's so much happier. Yeah. I always feel like, I, I always think of like someone with uh, a low thyroid condition as being a house with dim lights and you turn the light on yeah. and suddenly they can see again. And they yeah. Can, and they can That's see. That's a great analogy. You know, it's sort of like, yeah. oh my God. And and how, how, uh, how gratifying it is for us as providers to help people feel that way. Yeah. And they've been going to provider after provider. Nothing's wrong with me. They said, I'm fine. And it's like, yeah. you're not fine. If you, Nobody feels this way and is fine. Yeah. I wanted to ask, though, in terms of hormonal imbalances, um, which certainly affect and impact thyroid, where do you as an ND begin? If people come in with all of these symptoms we've been talking about, right. are you looking, are you going right to thyroid or are you looking at adrenals? Are you looking at estrogen dominance? Are, you know, what right. do you feel you must establish first before so you get to the question, big guns? So that's a great question because what you're talking about is like, which are the tiers of yeah. hormones? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tier one to me is like cortisol. Mm-hmm. If you don't have cortisol, if that goes away, you die. Yeah. You know, Addison's, you die. So low um, levels of cortisol, low So adrenal function is so prevalent. It's going to yeah. be more prevalent. And mm-hmm. uh, But that's like a kind of a tier one. So I don't yeah. think there's any thyroid patient that I'm also not addressing the adrenals on. Sure. 
Um, but thyroid is next. It's one of the masters. It touches everything, you know, and then you definitely get the sex hormones. I mean, you talked about perimenopausal times. In fact, for women, I sometimes talk about like the five P times that women get picked up for thyroid. It's any time their hormones change. So puberty is step one. Mm -hmm. In fact, I've put so many patients on thyroid over the years that they've turned around and said, I think I've been hypothyroid since I was 13. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So it it was subtle, but so puberty is a really common time. Pregnancy is another common Mm -hmm. time. Postpartum is another time. Yeah. Being on the pill and then menopause. Yep. Uh, Those are the common. Those five keys in the uh, the show notes. That is great. Let me just, I want to just jump back right. You were saying these are such primary, but, you know, Dr. Zava was here recently and we had a great interview with him and he referred to cortisol and thyroid as the king and queen. Well, they definitely go together because what's keeping you going? I mean, what's getting you out of bed when your thyroid has quit or it doesn't really quit. Rarely does it quit. It's usually a slowdown. Okay. If Mm. it quits, those people get diagnosed quickly. That's the better scenario. Yeah. The slow slide's hard. The slow slide is the much more common one. You know, people have been struggling with for years and there's, you know, their TSH is creeping up those emails are increasing every mm-hmm. year but they're not like going from right. 100% function to zero overnight so this sort of long slow side so what's ke- what's getting you going what's getting you out of bed and doing these things it's your adrenals it's your cortisol yes. it's getting it's compensating so the hardest thing i think with thyroid is that there's been so many and partially why i think in general we're not always fabulous about treating it or getting all the symptoms 100% gone is because there's been so many years of compensations. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the hard part and the reality of where we are limited when we kind of do these slow slides. So cortisol and thyroid are hand in hand. You don't get one without already being through the other unless it's a fast a fast blitz, and that just is less common. And I remember learning at a conference many, many years ago that you, if you don't address the adrenals and you just treat the thyroid, people will feel better for a short period of time, yeah. and then they'll hit a, hit a wall because the adrenals are not keeping up, and you have to backtrack. Because well, they, they're all of a sudden like, whew, my job's done. Okay, I'm going to crash now. And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> like, I was holding up the walls, and I don't have to anymore. Exactly. I can take a break. No, so, so if exactly. you see adrenal symptoms that yeah. so often overlap with thyroid they, symptoms yes. I mean, they so do. entirely. Well, and that's... And that's, how, how that's do you sort another, it out? Well, that's another thing because I do see people who come to me and they've got, gained weight and they're in this thing and they're like, I have every one of these thyroid symptoms. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm hypothyroid. Mm-hmm. And then, but my labs look normal. And I'm like, your labs do look normal. Maybe you have a thyroid problem, but maybe... We have all these other things that, guess what, can look exactly like thyroid it, too. So exactly. it's thyroid problems are, you have to really like look at the labs. You mm-hmm. do have to run those labs in conjunction with the symptoms because you're just trying to build this picture. And certainly I have had people who have had completely normal labs who have still benefited by doing trials of thyroid mm-hmm. and thyroid Me supports. Too. But on the whole... You kind of have to veer off and go another direction first and, you know, look at all the other things, the estrogen dominance, the adrenal issues, the, you know, insulin balance. And then you can kind of circle back around to thyroid if you haven't resolved it. You just just said, she just said something about, you know, but my results were normal. And that gets into that whole question around functional hypothyroidism. Can you explain that? Yeah. And I think that that's really, this is how I describe it when I'm teaching it to doctors. Okay. We have something called frank hypothyroid. So frank, we've got, let's, let's look at our, our labs. So our labs are, our primary labs are going to be our TSH, our free T4 and our free T3. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at what the brain is making, how happy the brain is, and then what the thyroid is producing. It's T4 and T3. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if we look at those four, we have kind of a, a separation of three different kinds of thyroid problems. We have in the low category, we have something called um, frank hypothyroidism. Frank hypothyroidism is your TSH is whopping high, your T4 and T3 are are low, mm-hmm. and there's no question everyone's going to put you on thyroid. Obvious to everyone. Obvious to everyone. Right. 
including Frank, which is why we call it Frank. <laughs> I love it. This is I good. love it. And then we have something that in the medical terminology is called subclinical mm-hmm. hypothyroidism. Now, I think this is actually a funny term, but this is the term that's used in the medical I literature. Know. And this is when your TSH is meh. Nine, three, two point five, two point five, three, <laughs> and your T4 is maybe on the lower yeah. side of thing, but you, you know. But once again, what have we not asked? We've actually not asked any of these people how they feel. But exactly. that's we basically we have a slightly high TSH, and that actually can be even up at four mm-hmm. or five, mm-hmm. anything less than ten. But we have these norm, generally normal T4s and T3s, and that's what in the medical literature is called subclinical hypothyroidism. Wow. And most of the discussion in the thyroid literature is should we treat those people or not because we can treat them and we can make their labs look the same but once again do they we don't feel ask better well, no we don't ask that question <laughs> and then we have a term that's kind of coming that i refer to as fun and everyone well people refer to as functional hypothyroidism and lots of different things and that's why we're going to define it functional hypothyroidism to me is you have really normal t4 and you have really normal t4 t3 and you have really normal tshs so your thyroid you is have functioning. Every Sym- symptom. Exactly. You have all the symptoms, right. but really your labs look good. But to you, me, that's yeah. functional. Like something's not working right, but your labs look okay. But those people, for myself, jumping in here, if they have a 2.0 or higher, yeah, I consider those people, if they have all those symptoms, I give them a short course of thyroid medication saying, yeah. do you feel better or don't you? Right. And if you feel better, yes, stay on the medication. Right. And we do all the other things to support your thyroid that you and I know how to do. But if you don't feel better, it's too soon. But we're going to watch that because they're yes. already up, you're, you're creeping up. Yeah, if you go from a TSH of one to a TH, TSH of two, you've doubled. You've doubled. So now we're going to watch you. And yeah. So I'm, I'm with you on some, and it's amazing. And then they go to see, for a second opinion, somewhere like three or four years later, they go to see an endocrinologist. They come back and say, I shouldn't be on medication. I never should have been. I said, did you feel better? They said, yes. I said, so? I mean, there you go. Yeah. When it's you a, see those numbers that are sort of arbitrary, yeah, do you then guidelines. want to concentrate on the hidden possibility of an, a hormone imbalance that like the estrogen, looking at the adrenals and treating and those people first? people that are normal, a lot of times, yeah. yeah, if you're normal, but you have lots of symptoms, but you really have normal thyroid, mm-hmm. your TSH is under two, your yeah. T4 is is one or above, your T3 is good, and, which to me is anywhere within the normal range. Um I look at other things, and oftentimes I find it is adrenal. It's low ferritin. It's mm-hmm. you know low, low, low progesterone. Yeah, vitamin D that's low. B twelve yeah. is, is so right. common. Yeah, so common. Can can you, you know? explain though the the whole thing about estrogen? blocking or creating binding proteins that that yeah. stop the conversion of T4 to T3 or sort of act as a roadblock with well, this that that actually, connection. Yeah, so actually estrogen's pretty interesting cuz really what it does is remember how we talked about T4 has to have binding a, a chaperone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Basically, estrogen is all about making more chaperones. Uh-huh. So, yeah. So more binding. They bind it up. You yeah. know, and so that's what the birth controlled pill does too. Mm-hmm. And when you're pregnant, you make all these hormones. So that's what that does too. When you go into puberty, all of a sudden you have all this estrogen. And so this estrogen triggers in your liver to say, hey, make more binding proteins. And it's normal. And if your thyroid is working well, both your brain and your thyroid gland is working well, your thyroid will be like, oh, Got more chaperones? <laughs> all right, we'll make more T4 so we can all get it there. Com- but compensatory. if your thyroid mm-hmm. can't do it, so it's really a time of revealing thyroid problems rather than causing them, okay. right? But if all of a sudden you're like, you know, you have to compensate for it and your thyroid can't compensate, then all of a sudden those thyroid problems are going to start showing up. So if someone mm-hmm. comes in and tells me as a provider, or you as a provider, you know, when I was on the birth control pill, I had X, Y, Z symptoms. I'm going to think, oh, yeah, you didn't compensate. Well, you're probably going to end up with hypothyroidism. Yeah, you could. Okay. Yeah. So I'm starting to think that way. That's good. That's really good. Yeah. Um, so we talked about that. And, and then what about the last one that we talk about? There's an autoimmune condition called Hashimoto's. Yeah. Can Hashimoto's. you talk about the difference between Same that? as thyroiditis? Yeah. So I, that- I kind of think... I mean, Hashimoto's um, 
is is sort of known as this acute thing that happens and I've seen someone in it it's it's really terrible it's like basically acute autoimmune disease where all of a sudden you know their neck is swollen they can have a fever um and it's known to be as acute onset um I think so that's classic Hashimoto's and what they are doing is they're create creating antibodies to basically follicles of the that make the thyroid hormone itself okay so in simplistic terms you have these antibodies in your blood that have become sensitized to a certain protein all right and so it goes looking all over your body to try to find that protein and it just happens to find that same locking key in your thyroid gland so what it does is it starts destroying your thyroid gland Mm -hmm. and it starts rupturing if you think of these follicles in your thyroid as basically balloons filled with ping pong balls, it starts puncturing all these balloons. So what happens with autoimmune thyroiditis is tends to be a slower process, but it's the same thing where our body, our immune system is actually attacking our thyroid cells, rupturing these follicles, releasing sometimes three months worth of thyroid all at one time. And then it's got to heal. And when it heals, it scars. So you can have this very acute situation where people can go between hyperthyroid and hypothyroid. Mm -hmm. Oh, I swear some of those patients feel like they need to have, you know, a fishing box of different thyroid medications for every day because they can swing back and forth. And they can swing between hyper and hypothyroid overnight. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you have sort of this slow smoldering fire, which is a little sensitive today, but a slow smoldering fire where their thyroid gland is just over time being destroyed by this low-grade autoimmune thyroid disease. So the the antibody we look for is called TPO, is the primary one, stands for thyroid peroxidase um, and it's been known by lots of different names over the time. So, so, so my thing is, uh, my, well, I've, I've observed over many years of practicing is that uh, most providers don't order the antibodies. No, they don't. So when you met, so the TPO testing. So for myself, mm-hmm. my, uh, my the things I always ordered for patients would be a TSH, a free T3, a free T4, thyroid antibodies, mm-hmm. a vitamin D, a ferritin, and a B12. That was my starting point. Me too. Me too. That's the I best. Know. I called it yeah. my expanded fatigue panel. We actually had a name for it where I worked. Oh. It was so funny. Because I said people were tired. I always yeah. got this. And that way we didn't miss. Yeah. And if they didn't have antibodies this year, I might not test them next year. If I started, yeah. if they have thyroid condition, I'd put them on medication. We don't need to check their antibodies again. Yeah. Maybe yearly. But uh, that's where I start from. Is that, will you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. So For yeah. our listeners, always. why do you test ferritin? Can well, because it? like Allison was These are, first of all, if you're low in ferritin, B12 or D, it can have similar symptoms to thyroid. Plus, what I understand also helps the thyroid work. Yeah, ferritin is the body's stores of iron. And iron, thyroid is actually a heme protein. So it needs iron to be made. So that's Mm -hmm. what I just consider. They're all, they all work together. And and if you miss one of those deficiencies and you throw somebody on thyroid medication and they have a ferritin of five, they're still not going to feel great. I want my patients to feel great as soon as possible. We're greedy. Can we I ask greedy. also... We're very greedy. <laughs> While we're talking about the things that are indicators and that you test for, what about magnesium and selenium and uh, you know yeah. their importance in the conversion of T4 to T3, which is the more active thyroid? T3 is the more active. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, this has been like an amazing... Uh, can we just do one more thing and then we're going to... We're actually going to come back to... And, and do another episode because yeah. this is such a great conversation. One more condition I think we didn't talk about was Graves' disease. Yeah. We can touch base on it, I think, briefly, and not to downplay it because it's actually really problematic for people to have it. So Graves' disease is hyperthyroidism. It right. affects 2% of all thyroid yeah. patients, although potentially increasing it. It's another... Um, it's another kind of mechanism. And in that situation, there's usually some sort of little small mass in either the brain or in the thyroid that is putting out too much thyroid. And just like in low thyroid, everything slows down. In Graves, everything goes too fast. That sounds great, but it actually means you can't gain weight, you've got diarrhea. But most importantly, it's really hard on your heart. It's more dangerous. Yeah, you get a lot of heart palpitations. Um, you can actually have your heart go too fast. Mm-hmm. Blood pressure um, goes your up. Your blood pressure can mm-hmm. go up. And people feel very unwell being hyperthyroid. So Right. Yeah. 
So um, this is a great breaking point right now because we have had a long conversation about thyroid. And Allison, I want to thank you for coming today. We're going to come back into the studio in another time, and we're going to talk about all the things that we didn't talk about today, like how do we test thyroid, how do we how do we intervene, and how do we support the thyroid in the naturopathic approach. All right. Thank so, you Allison, so much. Allison, thank you so much. Until we see you again, Many Candace. thousand thank yous. <laughs> Many thousand. And let's yeah. hope for smoke to go away. Yes, yes. exactly. Okay, <laughs> thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, here we are at the end of this WTF, Women Talking Frankly, podcast episode. In signing off, we want you to remember that what you are feeling is not all in your head. And that you have so many options to choose from to get you back to balanced living. Until next time, be well. And remember, if you want a great life, you need to ask great questions. Be courageous. Ask for what you need. With love, Kyle and Candice. Our website is womentalkingfrankly.com, where you can find all of our episodes, check out the show notes for resources, articles, and remedies, and where you can also feel free to email us with any questions, a hormone story, anything you'd like us to share with our listeners. Women Talking Frankly, WTF, is produced by Dan Rigger of Medicine Whistle Studios in his lovely Southeast Portland, Oregon studio. We want to thank our webmaster and dear friend, Deb Hollister of Pure and Simple Graphic Design. We also want to give a shout out to all of our family, friends, and patients for all of their support and encouragement to start this podcast. We are your hosts, Kyle McAvoy and Candace Birch. <laughs>